And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a terrific week under quarantine. Uh, great show today. I was joined by my good friend, Tyler Grant. Uh, it's always a great time talking to Tyler. We, we covered a lot. Uh, we talked about uh, the president defunding the World Health Organization. Uh, we talked about tyrannical government. We talked about economics. We uh, covered a lot of ground. I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, before I get to Tyler, guys, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or Spotify. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. And if you like what you're hearing and want to support the show, hit us up over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right. Without further ado, here's my chat with Tyler Grant. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Tyler Grant. Tyler, how you doing? Good, man. Still uh, quarantined in New York. Doing it. Yeah, man. How you holding up, buddy? You know, I think this is, what, like day, I don't know, what are we at? Like 45 of my descent into just absolute crazydom. But, uh, you know, getting there, it's it's good. I think if I, one of these days, I'm going to wake up uh, from like some sort of lucid dream and just bang <laughs> out like the next next great american novel it'll happen it's, it'll happen at a certain point um you know you have to have that good bit of crazy and fueled by a good bit of bourbon and i think self-isolation is really gonna really gonna further that that end goal here yeah man. yeah dude I, I can definitely see that happening you recently moved to new york city too like within the last year just perfect timing yeah you know i started i started the career up here in 2016 in the law game went down to dc and then came back up like a year and a month ago. So, so yeah, I've been, been up here, been, uh, been doing it. It's been weird, man. I'll tell you, New York, New York really shut down overnight and it is pretty wild how they can just one day economy's booming, shows are on, restaurants are open. The next day it's a ghost town all over, all over the city with just sirens. So it's wild. It's wild, man. It's creepy. It is super creepy seeing like video of Times Square. (laughs) Right now, it is. It's wild to watch. Oh yeah. So, dude, yeah, look starting, before starting uh, before break out. Yeah, with the whole like taking photos and stuff. I mean, people yeah. are gonna, people are gonna push back on this stuff soon. So. Oh, for sure, man. Before we get into everything, uh, look, I don't think I realized at the beginning of this quarantine, this lockdown, just how much I would miss sports. Damn, I miss sports. Holy crap, we need some sports, brother. We need Badly. some sports. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know. I mean, first of all, just the, the camaraderie of the whole thing. But I mean, the entertainment value, the the kind of the storylines of uh, of a sporting season. I mean, we got to have that back. And, I, you know, I, I know the president's been working pretty hard to try to figure out a method. But I, I frankly just don't see I, I definitely don't see a baseball season. And I'm, I'm I would be shocked that they're able to finish up NHL and uh, and the NBA season. I mean, it's it's a weird it's a weird year, man. It is a very, very strange year. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, the NBA season's a wash at this point. I mean, there's uh, I mean, their season start when when's the NBA season start? Like the end of September or something. So it's like 
at this point just uh, throwing the towel. But I know they were talking about uh, trying to have some semblance of a Major League Baseball season by, like, moving every team to the state of Arizona and, like, quarantining players from their families and, and all of this. Like, I, I don't know, logistically speaking, how that would work, but uh, I know they're at least throwing around some ideas. I just think if football season doesn't start on time, like, it, uh, I mean, it's all over, man. Like, people will re- oh, yeah, there, rebel. And, I mean, there, and there's very like, little chance of some of that, too. I mean, like, if we, you know, colleges, colleges are going to have to be making some real assessments about how they bring people back. I mean, you're going to see, they're going to have to make some sort of semblance of, like, closed campuses, you know, what, isolating people in a way that kind of prevents, like, closed communities of, hey, we do, we do not have a COVID case in this community. And we're sure of that. And that's how we're able to do different things. Like, I mean, this whole idea, you know, states are going to open and and people are going to be able to cross borders and stuff easily. I, I just don't see it, man. The way that people are talking about some of this. I mean, we're talking we're going to we're going to see, a, a you know, the 10th Amendment play a level of work we have not seen in a minute. And I, you know, especially in the sporting world. Yeah. I mean, uh, I could definitely picture something like, you know teams are going to move their facility temporarily to Nebraska or is that, you know what I mean? Like the, the LA Chargers yeah. are going to move to Lincoln, Nebraska for the season or something like that. You know, it's going to be real weird. I know like I, I can't picture NFL games being played, you know, in New York or New Jersey or LA. No way. I mean, maybe no they way. Can move it to a college campus somewhere in Wyoming or something like it, it may be something like that. And they have the only, and, they, and, and these players, I mean, they're, you know, they're not crazy people either. I mean, they're they're hearing reports that you know some of this stuff is leaving lasting damage. Even if you get it and it doesn't, it's not even a severe case. Like if, if I'm a professional athlete, no way, absolutely not. Because you know your your value of long term millions of dollars is your body. Why in the world would you ever risk getting something that that messed with your lungs where you couldn't compete anymore? That's that's insane. So these guys. These guys are not playing until they're a hundred percent sure that they're a hundred percent safe, and I just don't see that until either we have a vaccine or they figure out a closed community. And I just, you know, the moving to Nebraska seems like a, something that could work, but you know, shoot, man, it's gonna if if we don't have college football, I'm gonna be super bummed. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, because basketball and baseball is more localized, but you know football season both college and and the pros it's like it's a national holiday every saturday and sunday i mean the entire country stops and watches football those two days so it's like i don't know figure it out move it to alaska you know wherever put it play some games on the moon i don't care just give us football season we all (laughs) definitely need it but all right man news of the day let's jump right into it uh president trump has announced that he is defunding the world health organization which is terrific news um they had basically become just the propaganda just a propaganda wing of the chinese communist party uh that had basically fumbled the ball every step of the way so um i love this man i think this is terrific news yeah it's it's interesting because you know we we keep getting a a slowly updated timeline of how this all played out because if you remember the narrative was oh no one knew you know, it was just this idea and the Chinese did the best that they could. And then it got released on the world. And, and it's all it's all been Orange Man's fault since then. And he could have stopped all of this. And China, China was actually super instructive and helpful in <laughs> helping the rest of the world, sending them 
masks and ventilators and guidance and doctors and and thank God for the Chinese. And and that and that was what we were we were propagated for a long time. And then there was this very unique and interesting thing that happened where people started to actually look and pay attention. And like with any news story where the you know they're constantly evolving, what we've realized is wait a minute, not only did the Chinese know this in December early, they were disappearing doctors, they were disappearing nurses, they were disappearing whistleblowers, they were disappearing billionaires, they were disappearing anybody that spoke out against the party line. Now we're now we're realizing that the WHO was being misled by the Chinese. And then the WHO, rather than being the you know, the world body that it is supposed to be, was passing along the information to the rest of the world that the Chinese were giving them. And as we look forward, or, or you know, we look to the past about that, realizing that the head of the WHO is actually just a plant from the Chinese that they campaign for and that they pay a tenth of what we pay to the WHO. It makes it makes complete sense that the Trump administration and the rest of the world is looking at this it's like, what what work is this really doing for us? Especially if the underlying bad actor involved in this is going to lie to us in a way and to such degree that 22,000 Americans have died from this, probably closer to 30 or 40, depending on, you know, if, if we're able to really curb it, how we've been curbing it. And, you know, unlikely if there's ever a double down that this won't come close to 50, 60, 70, 80,000 Americans. I mean, we're talking we're talking like war levels of death. And yes. And for what? Because because they can't tell us the truth. I mean, we have to seriously look at world organizations. And if if it doesn't service American interests, I, I, I frankly don't understand why we would give a dime to something like that. And, you know, and, and you see all these weird just because Trump man is bad, you know, to some of these folks, they have to go out there and they have to say whatever the opposite is of Trump. They can't have any nuance. They can't say, yes, you know, this is wrong. But, you know, Trump could have Trump could have realized that they were lying and done more and hustled a little bit. But, you know, they can't do that. I've watched every single one of these press conferences and, and they're insane. They're insane. The insane. questions that are being asked, the questions, how he responds to the questions. I mean, look, like not the biggest Trump guy. I think, you know, he could be a much more moral individual. I think he could be a, a way less hostile individual. And as a Christian, I mean, I just find some of the some of the stuff just to be wildly inappropriate. But but whatever. All that aside, the other team is just filled with people that their sole focus is they got to get him. That's it. And it, it's right and, on cue, and, too, man. Like, it, immediately. Yeah. It, I mean, Trump hadn't even finished giving his statement yesterday. And the, the press, just right on cue. The Democrats and the press, and they immediately become the WHO's biggest fans, the Chinese Communist Party's biggest fans. Because, like you said, you know, orange, fat, mean, orange, mean, fat, white man is orange and mean and fat and white. So, you know, you got you to gotta show for the communists in China, and you got to show for the WHO, who's done nothing to, to slow the spread of coronavirus. I mean, it's like, like, dude, I get it. You don't like Trump. I get it. It's boring. Like, it's boring. I, I, I'm bored <laughs> talking about the Democrats and the press because it's so predictable. It's right on cue. They, you know, they get the, the DNC distributed talking points and they just, you know, swing for the fences on a daily basis. And like you said, they just say the opposite of whatever Trump says. It's like, guys, can you just like, can you just post a statement on CNN that just says like the opposite is what we want and just not, and just like fill in the blank, you know, like, do we, do you even need to do it? Like we get it. You're going to say the opposite of whatever the president says. It's, it's boring. It's just, it's tedious at this point. Like my goodness, do we have to keep talking about this? Like, ugh. 
Well, it's and the thing that bothers me too, and I and I think about this a lot, and I, I've talked about this with other folks, is that we we do need to realize and understand who the real enemy is. The real enemy is not the president of the United States. The real enemy is these other countries that are purposefully wanting to undermine our foreign policy, our domestic policy. I mean, we're, t- we're talking about a Great Depression level of an economic recession that some of these jobs are gone. They, w- they will not exist anymore. And people no. don't people have not thought this through. I mean, you know, off the top of my head, I mean, a, a movie theater. Are we kidding? Like there would be no such thing as an independent movie theater after all this is over. Like how they, none of them would have had the cash flow to survive. Some of these small mom and pop restaurants that people have built their entire life around and have have worked for for decades. They'll be gone. They won't exist anymore, no matter how much how much we put money into them. We need to recognize the Chinese are the responsible for this. And I, and I don't understand, you know, the questions yesterday, one of the reporters who was just so smug asking, oh, well, you were praising Xi in January. It's like, of course he was. Of course, the president of the United States, as the diplomatic figurehead of the United States, has to say to all of these people, hey, you know, you're a really nice guy, but can secretly be, you know, paddling under the surface like a duck. Like, I, I don't understand how that's complicated for folks like hey you know putin i had a really great meeting he was a really smart savvy guy like flattery attracts you know more bees or whatever the phrase is and i I don't understand how that's complicated for some of these folks and rather than asking very pointed questions about what the president of the united states is doing to bring back manufacturing jobs like the the japanese were doing against the chinese or how we're planning on preventing this in the future it's like well well, let's just let's just clarify what you what you didn't do and how you failed us, Mr. President, so that we can give, you know, the DNC and Joe Biden talking points. And I, it, it just it drives me crazy. man. I know it drives you crazy, too. But I, I just there comes a point where you just look at this like, what do you got? What whose interest are you serving and who's who's the winner in this? Like Trump might lose, but China wins when Trump when Trump loses, to be frank. Yeah. I mean, it's like the press. uh it's like they're they're pretending that history started in 2016, you know, like they like, yeah, like like you said, of course, Trump is going to, you know, publicly play nice with the Chinese and, and, and stuff. But it's like it's like they've never heard a president speak before. I mean, this is like not everything Trump does is like unique. You know what I mean? It's, it's Nixon. Nixon landed in Nixon landed in China <laughs> yes. and was like yes. talking about how great Mao yes. was. Do we, do we really yes. think that Nixon loved Mao? Are we yeah, kidding? and Mao, Mao killed like, eighty million people. So, yeah, <laughs> literally I, I the, the, you know, the largest genocide in human history. So, like yeah. that relationship opened up, you know, an economic relationship that lasted for that has benefited American jobs and taxpayers. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But I mean, are we going to? I cannot believe Nixon was a, a Mao acolyte. Like, no, be an adult. <laughs> That's not what ha- happened. It drives me crazy, man. Like, I gotta you know, read. Uh, I gotta read the the worst tweet of the day um, from the left um, regarding the World Health Organization. Uh, this one is from uh, Christiane Amanpour over at uh, over at our friends over at CNN. Um, quote: Defunding the World Health Organization in the middle of a pandemic is like pulling the plug on firefighters in the aftermath of 9/11. That's a that's a that's a fuck of a take right there, Tyler. My oh, goodness, oh. this is CNN. This is CNN. It's My like gosh. pulling money from the firefighters at 9/11. <laughs> that is This a, is CNN. This is this is this is what we've <laughs> Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. How is that how, uh, how does she how does she square that metaphor period? Like where are the WHO people in the United States that are running to the fire 
to I stop swear, it. man, to be, metaphor, journalist, to be a journalist, to be a journalist in 2020. Like, I just the, the levels of stupidity of that make no sense. I mean, the metaphor is so clean. If you just say it would be as if Trump is pulling money from the hospitals right. in light of the right. epidemic, but the WHO, how, how does that, <laughs> the, how does that even make any sense? Because I mean, in, the, like, in the metaphor, the WHO are the terrorists. Yeah. So, yeah. so they're, I mean, like, they're, they're like the guys that train them. They're like the guys that train the guys to fly. If we're really playing the metaphor through for nine 11. Or maybe she's saying that the firefighters after nine 11 were really a bunch of communists who didn't actually put out fires. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. That's no a, sense. It, it, the problem with this, too, and, and we've talked about this before on your show, and I've talked about it on other programs, too. And, and the thing that drives me crazy, and, and I've said this to people at like Fox, and I've said some people to friends that are other, other outlets. If you want to be a reporter and you want to hold yourself out as a reporter, you can't pretend to be an activist. You can't hold yourself out with like wild opinions about different things. Like you're there. If Trump says X, you say Trump said X, not Trump blusteringly said X. Like I, I have yet to understand <laughs> what it is about these people that has suddenly made them. Uh, I think it's just like the millennial emotional nonsense is that we feel like we are not just living in the world and performing a job function, but somehow we're activating or being activated for some higher degree of progressivism or something. And it's just, you, you look at the stuff and you're like, how are you supposed to take that seriously? Like uh, the, the metaphor is, is wrong on its face. It's not, it's just, it's not just, dumb it's just it's it's not even a complete thoughtful metaphor like if i had said that in a law school class my professor would be like how did you get into the school and i and i just don't know i look at that like and these are the people that we're supposed to trust with information when they tell us something and they say you know trump is destroying and undermining democracy by calling us fake and lying and you kind of look at that and you're like gosh i didn't want to like go to bat for trump I'm like that is just dumb like i just don't understand yeah i think there's I think it's there's two different explanations for the the behavior of the the press, and I think a lot of them are just really stupid people. Like I think somebody like a Brian Stelter is just not a smart man. I think he's just a he's just not very bright, and that can explain some of these people. Like I don't think Jim Acosta is a very bright man. I just what he says he, he doesn't seem very well read. Uh, his opinions don't seem very well thought out. And then a lot of them they are very smart men and women, but. They're just they're so far in their own bubble. Like leftism does make you stupid because you're you're, you know, if you're a leftist working in journalism in New York, L.A. and D.C., like you've never met a Republican before, yeah. <laughs> unless you're like inter- unless you're interviewing Ted Cruz, you know what I mean? Like you you've never like they don't have Republican friends. They've never. I mean, dude, look, like people on the right, like us, we're really good in a debate. We're really good when we're talking to people that don't agree with us because we know like. I can explain a leftist's positions better than they can because we're overwhelmed with them all the time. I mean, like leftists control the entire media, all of Hollywood, all of television, every newspaper. All of higher education. All of it. All of higher education. Most of the sporting world. Everything. So it's like we know exactly what these people think. They genuinely do not know what we think. They've never been challenged. They've never debated. They've never had to think deeply about even their own positions. So, I mean, some of them are just really stupid people, but a lot of them are just, they're intellectually lazy. Like, they've never worked out that muscle before. 
of having to defend your positions. They've never, it's like they've, their brain has just atrophied. You know what I mean? They, they just oh, yeah. never and, had to do you it get a, You get a lot of like the evolution of it too. I mean, a, a lot of the, right. you know, what, what leftism, what being a Democrat meant when I was in college is different than what I meant in high school. And it's extremely different than what it means now. I mean, these are very, very wildly different things and a political belief that has evolved tremendously. I mean, people, people can say what they want to say about, you know, Trumpism and whatever that means. And I, I will agree it's different than what I view to be, you know, conservatism, you know, how it's, it's been throughout the history of the world. But I mean, we're talking about a difference between like, you know, me versus Trump is, you know, 10 feet, you know, safe social distancing. The difference between like Barack Obama in 2008 and 2020 Barack Obama is a completely indistinguishable person. Yes. Like would, would 2008 Barack Obama, if asked about transgender issues, would probably have said, what are you even, what, what are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. But, you know, 2020 Barack Obama would be like, oh, of course, I'm at my foundation. I have transgender month, you know, which is, you know, <laughs> that's not me saying anything, you know, bad about, you know, transgender people. I know some transgender people. I, I talk about issues with them all the time. But they're, they're, the difference between the political belief and the hatred of those people has evolved like tremendously in 12 years. Same right. thing, same thing with like, same thing with gay marriage, same thing with tr- traditional marriage, same, same thing, you know, ab- abortion in 2008, Barack Obama was saying, Hey, like, I don't, I don't like it. I don't agree with it, but you know, I want to make it safe for women. 2020 Barack Obama would probably say he would champion it. And it's just, we're talking about just very different political beliefs and a movement that is, is so un tethered to anything really hard where it's looking to try to create this like perfect society of which they can't they can't figure out what that looks like they don't know what it means and so it just is this moving swinging pendulum versus guys like us are like liberty more liberty is good whatever whatever that means and however we can accomplish more liberty buttressed up up against like public safety and privacy that's balanced that is good that is goodness and they 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 have no idea what that means. They have no tethering principle. Yeah, Sorry, you're absolutely I'm on like right. A little rant there. Was, you know, it just freaks me out, man. No, no, you're totally correct. And then that's what the left and like the the never never Trump Republicans can't figure out either. Like when they, you know, Trump will say something awful, which Trump says awful stuff all the time. <laughs> it's just a lot of stuff that I don't like all the time. And I don't like everything he's done as president. I mean, I don't like Trumpism because Trumpism is pretty, you know leftist on economics and uh and they're they're pretty moderate on everything else and i'm a i'm a radical over here so (laughs) trump's not nearly radical enough for me obviously i'm a ludwig von mises guy but um like what what never trumpers don't understand what the left doesn't understand when he'll say something horrible is like what 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 is trump what what's the point when trumpsters won't vote for him or somebody like me who's not like a a, a Trump train guy, but somebody who voted for him. Like, what's what? How awful does he have to be for people to abandon him? Well, it would take the Democratic Party not nominating somebody who's obsessed with slaughtering as many unborn babies as possible and taxing the country back to the Stone Age. So, like, okay, you know what I mean? And they don't they don't realize that obviously elections aren't binary in New York. I mean, like, you're like, no offense, but your vote doesn't matter, like, on anything. Like if you, like nobody's affected if Tyler Grant doesn't vote in New York City, but like in Ohio, federal elections are binary. It's a binary choice. I mean, everybody wins Ohio by a couple points, you know, 
usually less than that, and Ohio's picked the president every four years since, like, 1884, I think, was the last time Ohio didn't pick a president. So it's like, yeah, man, uh, it's pretty binary for me, and that's why I still at least support Trump on, on some level, but... Let's talk about the economics of uh, of all this. Um, Trump obviously has launched a task force uh, focused on reopening the economy. Um, obviously, states and cities are are going to have the final say on when to to open up their regional economies. But um, at least we're putting something in motion to look at our options here. It's just it it seems to me, and I'm trying to be less of a cynic, I swear. <laughs> but. I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me that the the Democrats and the press are are solely focused on keeping the economy shut down as long as possible because they think it'll help them defeat Trump in November. Um, it seems that's kind of the only. I mean, like the press will slander anybody who mentions the economy. Like if you mention, like, hey, uh, the economy still matters, then you want to kill your grandmother. So, like, I mean, they seem really focused in shutting down any talk regarding the economy because they they want the economy to suck they want people to suffer so they can defeat trump it seems like that's what's going on but i i mean the economy is a public health issue like the economy is people's lives um so it, it's definitely something we need to be focusing on yeah so you know i mean we we had an interesting conversation before this this phone call that there there are there are actual economic and physical costs to the economy being closed you know one of which is you know one of which is suicide as you mentioned another of which is you know, the different healthcare ramifications of people not having work, depression, uh, right. anxiety. All, I mean, all these things matter. I mean, the economy is a very important uh, point of understanding how we go about reopening and the need to reopen. I think that we need to be cautious with the way in which we we do so as to not have kind of a double down, because I think a double down situation after companies are already so thinly capitalized from drawing you know, I, I saw a couple statistics about all the different companies that have drawn their full line of credit. I mean, that that is a that is a a ticking time bomb um, if we can't get things back open and staying open, of which they can start paying down that line of credit. It it makes me nervous when conservatives start saying, "Oh, we got to we got to we got to get open now. We got to get open now." Like that that does make me nervous because I I do think that there ne- there needs to be in such a, a cataclysmic event like this of which we've closed everything down in an unprecedented situation that's that's never happened before i i worry that we would do so too rapidly and people would think you know the the unthinking person that you know they see fox News, oh the economy's back open okay i can go live my life how i once did i am nervous about that and i you know i think that that swerves a little bit from um that just the, the conservatives right now, they're trying to kind of echo a little bit of the Trump line, which is that we got to get back open. If we're not back open, we're going to fall apart. It's like, that's true. But if we also do have like a second coronavirus outbreak and everybody starts closing back down, people are going to, you know, close back down more rapidly and readily than they did last time. And that's going to be a cataclysmic economic event of which, I, I mean, I guess we could just print money. I guess we, I mean, I guess we could just print money and it, it not mean anything, I guess. But, you know. That would be a, a level of economic uncertainty that I, I wouldn't wish upon our country. And I'm sure there would be, or and there will be, whenever we do reopen the economy. There's going to be some morons. I mean, obviously, there's there's a lot of stupid people in this country. You're going to see college kids fly to Miami Beach and 
and crowd together and take shots off girls' butts and stuff like we saw <laughs> over spring break last month. Like I, that, I'm sure there'll be some idiots, but the thing is, like people were already social distancing before there was these shelter-in-place orders. I mean, like uh, eating in restaurants in like the two-week period before any states issued any orders was already down like 75 percent. And like uh, you know, air travel was down sixty percent. And so before any of these these orders were issued, so like I I, I think the vast majority of people are gonna be smart. They're not gonna rush out and pack movie theaters, for instance. You know, like I think people are gonna be just nervous enough to kind of maintain some semblance of of, of social distancing. But I I do want to mention a study that I found. It's the only study I could find. Um, that actually that actually studied the correlation between the unemployment rate and mortality. Um, and it's anecdotal because this is a study from 1977, okay? So, and it's the only one I can find. But in, in this 1977 study from Johns Hopkins, um, it showed that for every percentage point that the unemployment rate ticks up, the suicide rate ticks up uh, 4.1%. Okay, so scale that up. Like, if we hit 20, 30... 35, 40% unemployment. Dude, I mean, are, are we going to look at, at a 100% increase in suicide? I mean, that is that is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting, too. I mean, I you know, uh, a single guy in New York, unmarried, and, you know, I, I look at this, and I can understand, you know, thankfully, I don't have, uh, you know, that that level of, of depression, you know, obviously you get depressed like anybody else does, you know, probably, probably shouldn't be drinking alone to the level that I am drinking alone as I'm writing <laughs> over this, over this, uh, over this quarantine period. But at the same time, I mean, there are people that have significant depression, people that they, they need that, at that level of touch in their life. They need to go see therapists. They need to do the, these things that kind of keep them going. And they've had days and days and days and days and days of not being able to see people, not be able to, you know, be around other people that bring them that that joy, that bring them that happiness, that per, that pursue that that level of intimacy that we need. And you know, I I do believe that there will be people that you know were otherwise dating, going out, doing stuff that you know were trying to meet somebody to be happy. You know, that's you know that's a, a critical moment of human uh, interaction. That whether or not we get open and people don't have jobs and stuff. I mean, there's gonna be there's so many different factors of depression and suicide that are being just baked in the cake right now that we're going to be seeing this for six months, eight months down the road. And, and it's it's actually going to be horribly sad of people just dying in abject loneliness and and depression. I mean, I, I worry I worry that our leaders don't take seriously the fact that finding ways to build an economy that makes sense for the American people makes sense for the American people. And what I mean by that is that for so many years, you know, I wrote, I wrote the article, I don't know if you saw it, where Tucker Carlson was talking, Talking on his show where he was shredding Cabela's because they got acquired by Bass Pro, I believe. Do you have a Cabela's out there? Oh uh, yeah, we have both. Yeah. Which one do you like better, Cabela's or Bass Pro? Which is very uh, telling about a man. I mean, Cabela's is better, but it's <laughs> further away from my house. <laughs> fair, 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 fair. I feel like Cabela's is kind of like the the high the highbrow man, and and Bass Pro is like the the fisherman shop for the people. It's kind of like well, what it, what it kind of feels I, I, like. I frequent a local bait shop. Uh, up oh, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Well, yeah, the local. Okay, so okay, wait. So this conversation is perfect for you. So this is oh, yeah. this is this is the thing. So Tucker was saying he was you know he was talking about how you know they got acquired 
And rather than uh, Cabela's being like, it was some Midwestern town where Cabela's was headquartered. They gutted it and moved all the execs everywhere. But like the whole town was built on the fact that Cabela's was head, you know, HQ'd there. And right. I, I kind of wonder, so we kind of just thought about that out loud. Um, people picked it up and, and ran it in like a dumb way because people are dumb and basically said he was making some anti-corporatist argument of which, you know, he, he was he was in part. But really what he was getting down to the fact is that American businesses have to look out for American towns, American people whether are, are like, oh, we'll just go and we'll find the cheapest product and we'll expand into this global conglomerate. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's that's great. You know, you might make yourself and a couple executives some millions of dollars and, and build a bunch of, you know, build a bunch of jobs you know, organically around the world. But the, the really crux of the matter is the fact that we need to be looking out for American jobs and businesses. And in a, in a critical economic alignment like we're at right now, there needs to be a, a level of, hey, guys, like maybe the thing that's problematic here and the reason why we were so scared to, you know, shut our borders down to protect the American people is because we were so consumed with not upending our relationship with China, of which we are un, unencumberedly, you know, coupled with. Where if their manufacturing goes down, American prices on all our goods go up five bucks. And that's just yeah. – that's that's a problem. Like we we are the greatest country in the world. We have the best IP in the world. We have the best you know, human capital in the world, which I hate using that word because it makes people sound like resources. But I mean people, people here have just such a sophistication about their ideas and the way to break out their creativity into creating you know, crazy new business. I mean when, when was the last time that we, you know, we did anything with like a – you know outside of like South Korean cell phones and Japanese cell phones. I mean, like most innovations in Silicon Valley, that's just the way yep. where it is now. And, and you're the people that produce that. That's like, that is this country that's just driving this growth and we need to be investing in our people. And, and that's just, that's the way it is. And I think that it's coming off something like this, like we need to be preparing ourselves for in the future that we, we learn lessons from this. You know, we, we've learned something from the financial crisis. I mean, again, like this time, type of event if this had occurred in 2008 we would be doomed there would be no economy anymore there would be yes. riots in the street because there, there wouldn't be any capital no one has no one would have any cash but right now because a lot of these people you know a, a good news thing that i can tell you well let me think about it no i can tell you the um <laughs> how, you know i was on a i was on a call with some people earlier and a lot of a lot of the people that we talked to you know in in the space a lot of them have capital and they have cash yeah. because because they, they, they saved and they learned the lesson from 2008. And people, people have been telling them. I mean, we're almost at the point where, you know, it might be where the government tells them that they they need to spend some money and push it in the economy. I mean, not forces them, but obviously just says like, hey guys, like, can you spend a little money? Because like all these banks and and PE shops have cash. Yeah. And that's a good thing. That's a good right. thing because 2008 they had no cash, and so no one could start a business for you know three or four years. No one could buy a house for three or four years because it was like, where are you going to get a mortgage from? Where you know, where you're going to get a small business loan. No one had any money. So, right. So it's a good and, I mean, it, and it obviously helps that the, you know, the Dow was like at almost 30,000 oh, uh, yeah. before this happened. Two, I mean, so, like if, if, if the stock market was at 2008 levels when a, when a pandemic hit, I mean, it, we, we may never recover, but the economy was strong, um, which has kind of padded the situation a little bit. And what, one more point um, before we move on is, and this is what Andrew Yang and all these these morons that they want universal basic income and, and, and stuff like that that don't understand. Like work is not just about money. It's not just about getting a paycheck. Like people 
your livelihood isn't just about the cash, man. Like people, and look, and I'm I'm a Christian. I I find my purpose in Jesus Christ. I find my purpose in God, and I hope everyone finds their purpose in God. That's what you should. And family and friends and and things like that. But a lot of people are are so focused on work. I mean, their identity is wrapped up in their work, you know. And and if you take that away, that that's why the suicide rate spikes. It's not just about the cash. And giving somebody ca- even if they make UBI permanent or whatever, and just pay everyone's bills. Nobody gets evicted. Nobody, you know, misses mortgage payments. Nobody's homeless. It it doesn't matter. That's not like the money itself is not going to keep people from getting depressed. I mean, people, their identities are wrapped up in what they do. I mean, look at, I mean, look at the freaking, you know, whatever, Floyd Mayweather. You know, he's like a forty-five-year-old boxer who's talking about having a comeback fight. He has like four hundred million dollars. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. He has half a billion. He's not need money. It's not about money. It's that his identity is wrapped up in his work, and he can't let it go. And a lot of people across the country in all lines of work are like that. And that's what the Andrew Yang types don't understand. Like, oh, we can just cure all mental health problems if we give people a monthly check. No, no, the money is is a drop in the bucket compared to the purpose that people find in what they do for a living. So it's interesting too. And, and I've thought a lot about this because I do think that we are moving and I wrote about the UBI back, back in, I don't know, probably, probably 2015 then 2017. Um, and I guess my thought on it is that we are approaching a point of which some jobs just won't exist. And yep. And so we have we have a very unique economy in the fact that we are in kind of a gig economy. We do have a lot more people. I would I would guess I don't I don't have statistics to back this up, but just anecdotally, I can see that more people are being paid for their their work, whether that's writing or being an artist or like making something, and that all that relies on like other people having the money to do different things. And and you know there's sort of like a, a self perpetuating cycle in that in the economy. I do wonder, and, and kind of Andrew Yang's basis of this is that if I give people two grand, it frees them up to do these creative endeavors that they otherwise would do if they didn't have this you know day job that was killing them for less than that money. And then that will then create more people to have, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think to some degree it has merit, but I think that there's also a way that you're going to have to bifurcate society if you do this in which you take away a good portion of the other parts of the safety net. And so if you do that, I think you're going to have to say, well, you know, if you want to take a UBI check, you're going to have to make some serious liberty concessions because it can't work that if I'm doing, you know, I can do what I'm doing right now because, you know, I, I make money. My, my firm pays me. I use that money in my day-to-day life. If something goes wrong, I'm able to pay my, my medical bills because you know, that's what I'm, I'm doing and I'm expecting to do. But if we're if the government's just giving you a check and you're not required to do anything and there's no strings attached to the check, I don't see how that doesn't perpetuate down the road where it wouldn't be enough where you would be bankrolled by insurance or anything like that. But then you'd have to you'd have just two thousand dollars rolling around. So I think you would have to come with a, a crazy amount of strings attached that I don't think people are prepared to talk about. And what I mean by that is like, you know, like people pre- pre- participating in like crazy high risk behavior. I mean, I, I just think generally people shouldn't participate in general high risk behavior, but I mean the thought that, Oh, I'll just go out and you know, I'm on, I'm on the government's dime. I don't do anything for a living. I get a $2,000 check. I'm just going to have five kids. I mean, like, how does that work? Like I'm going to go out and right. smoke a pack a day. How does that work? Like, cause then 
these things are these things are crazy costly. Like we we talk about healthcare costs in like a funny a funny way in this country where it's like oh no like there's enough money to go around where we could make everybody insured and Medicare for all and all that kind of stuff. It's like I mean yeah we could and like it'd be very expensive and a lot of people would be taxed way more than they're taxed. But there there's also just positive ways to avoid some of this. So like heart disease is the most expensive you know heart disease and and uh, yeah I mean heart disease is one of the more expensive medical options followed by cancer. I mean, you know, how are we going to, how are we going to do that? People, you know, if, if a guy smokes every day for the rest of his life, he gets very expensive lung cancer. How, who's, who's paying for that? And it's an avoidable cost. If someone eats four Big Macs a day on his $2,000 a month, I mean, and he gets heart disease and he's, he's very, very expensive with type, you know, type two, type one, type three, I forget which one it is, diabetes. I mean, it's very expensive. Who's going to pay for that? And I, I don't think that the UBI correctly accounts for how you would have to bifurcate society of people that would just be taking a UBI and other people who are going to have to be doing the normal jobs that you have to do. Because, I mean, nobody cannot do, you know, you're going to need somebody to, you know, be on the oil rig working like a little bit above, you know, minimum wage that's hooking up the pipes. I mean, that, that, that job always has to exist, you know? Right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Um yeah. One more thing. We're running out of time, but one more thing before I let you go. I have to mention this story out of Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, yesterday, where uh, some people uh, were protesting the government and all these uh, you know, stringent restrictions on, on daily life, and cops just started arresting them, arresting these peaceful protesters. They said uh, the chief of police uh, said that protesting the government is a non-essential activity which is probably the scariest thing I've ever heard. Uh, pro- protesting government is non-essential, says the government. Um, I mean, that, that's that's communism. I mean, that's Soviet-style behavior from from uh, from Raleigh, North Carolina right there. I mean, dude, it's like the entire government is just on a mission to turn me into an anarchist. Like, it it's hasn't happened yet, I, man. I'm holding yeah. on. I'm holding on by a thread. <laughs> by a thread, Tyler. I mean, so it's interesting, right, with, the whole Easter Church's concept, I, I was I was deeply suspicious of some of that uh, in the sense that I thought it was sort of – it was one of those things like, oh, I'm going to stick it to the government by holding a, a church service anyways. And, and frankly, like I agree that if, if everybody stayed in place for 14 days and no one did anything and the people that were sick just went to the hospital and they got, they got better, I think we would be you know, obviously in that perfect scenario. We would have already beat this thing. Okay, but you can't do that. That's just not that's not practical. And so when Easter service is happening, people are saying, oh, we're going to do like a drive through, you know, church service or something. Or we'll do like a drive in church service. I I, the way that these are interpreted legally is that the government has to find a least cost alternative uh, or a least invasive alternative when, when they're dealing with First Amendment problems. And I found that if they ban everything, period, then that's like a, a very. Uh, you know, that's that's more constitutionally protect, pr- protected than if they were to say we're going to pick and choose activities that people can do from a government standpoint. And so the whole we're going to shut down church services thing became like very deeply suspicious. And the fact that churches were using methods and means that weren't like, oh, we're going to sit everybody beside each other and we're all going to sip out of the same communion cup. I mean, they weren't doing that or saying that. Right. And so, I mean, some were trying to be a little more intact than others for you know attention purposes but you know the whole we're gonna have a drive-through and everybody's gonna be in their own vehicle and we're just gonna have service 
I didn't understand what the problem with that is. The flip side with the with the protesting, I, you know, again, the protesting as far as a speech perspe- perspective, I think that protesting, it's kind of the, the inverse, actually, of what people are saying with the platform exclusivity. So if I'm able to protest in person as was as easily as I can protest on Twitter, you know, I, I think that I'm able to do so in a way in which the efficacy of protesting in front of a Capitol building, of which being at the Capitol building as a non-essential activity becomes more of a demonstrative protesting than it is like an actual effective protesting. Does that make sense? So like it it's does. Like a, it's like I'm protesting it in front does. of Congress, but there's no congressman in Congress. So what am I what am I really doing with my protest? Well, I'm being a public I'm being a, a public health hazard by being around other people. Does that make sense? I don't know. That's kind of my I've been thinking about it. My my thinking, you know, the more that I think about it, my my thinking gets stronger. But I just think in, in a way there there was a difference between the protesting and the church going. And I think that there's a difference between the protest from an efficacy standpoint than a an actual like demonstrative standpoint i mean i get your point um and, and it is it, it is pretty obvious that a lot of these states were targeting churches um and ignoring other <laughs> other ways people were were breaking protocols in, in regards to social distancing they were targeting churches and it's uh obviously the democrats and the press as well um have been baiting trying to bait christians into doing this too i mean they've been baiting us man they're trying to get us to do something crazy you know so they can target churches even more and uh attorney general uh bill barr came out and said like i i believe it was the case in uh mississippi where the, the cops told the pastor that his rights were suspended which is not, not a thing um unless you're incarcerated but uh you know the attorney general came they, out they and said like these the, really the, bad quotes these quotes are terrible quotes oh yeah like, oh, yeah. I, I don't understand how someone didn't think this through and say, oh, yeah, you know, sorry, you know, by the order of the whatever, you know, we're suspending all of these these types of activities or whatever. Like something like Glosser was like, uh, you know, you know, protesting is a non-essential activity. It's like, man, that's like it's like a, the, it's almost like it was written in like a bad propaganda book. Yes, they, they tweeted it. The official yeah. account of the Raleigh, North Carolina Police Department tweeted that protesting is a non-essential activity. It's like, dude, look. The Founding Fathers started a war against the greatest military force in the history of the world up to that point and risked almost certain death over a 3% tax. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, no, like, I look, look, man, like George Washington, if he saw any of this stuff, he'd be stacking bodies right now, brother. Like, it would be all gosh, over. Yeah. Uh, so, like, come on. Just look at how far we've come in, in, you know, a couple hundred years. It's just, it's it's sad, man. It's yeah, absolutely I mean, disgusting. You know, it's, well, I mean, he also he also would view Trump's like, I have total authority to quote. He oh yeah, no. You wouldn't have like, loved that. Like I said, and it's not just the Democrats. I'm, I'm like I said, both sides are trying to turn me into an anarchist. I mean, it's uh, my goodness. Oh yeah, well, and 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 you know, on a, there's just so many. I mean, he'd look at the WHO and be like, I don't understand. Or <laughs> money to like a foreign body? Is it a government that's above the U.S.? No, 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 it's not. It's just a group. But why do we give them money? <laughs> he'd be so confused. <laughs> God, that would be a really funny conversation. He'd have to put his wooden teeth in to finish it, but yeah, it'd be funny. Don't even mention the UN, my goodness. Blood would... It, oh, George Washington's eyeball would pull a Joe Biden and just explode right there on the spot. Does, I mean, I love that the China, the Chinese sit on the, the UN Human Rights Committee. It's like, <laughs> are we... like, how, let's Guys, how do we discredit this organization more? Oh, the guys that 
you know, conveniently toss 1.7 million, you know, white Uyghur Muslims in internment camps. Like, God, does that death toll? And, oh, no, 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 but don't worry, don't worry about that. The Chinese, they, they tried to help the world from coronavirus. Give me a break. Give me a break. China is asshole. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. I got to let you go. Thanks so much for doing this again, man. I'm sure uh, I'll be talking to you again soon. Where can everybody follow you online, read your stuff, and keep in touch and all that good stuff? Yeah, it's, you know, I've got the uh, the Twitter at uh, whatever my handle is, Ty, Ty Gregory Grant. And, uh, you know, I've got a column up at the National Review this week and probably going to have one or two up at Washington Examiner. So take a look. Follow along. Did you really just say the National Review? Did I say that? National Review? You did. You did. You said oh. the National Review. God, I'm an embarrassment. <laughs> All right. Everybody follow Tyler. He's great. Read his stuff. Uh, it's always good. Uh, that's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. Um.